It's a new day and a new series, bringing about a new and fresh opportunity to worship and serve Christ, as we'll see next on Truth For Today. Grace, they say that is giving to us what we don't deserve, and God's mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. In light of that, mercy deserves a sacrifice. Hi, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're picking up a brand new series beginning in Romans chapter 12 today called Living Sacrifice, Serving One Another. Pastor Phil Howard will give us a look at the first two verses of chapter 12, Mercy Deserves a Sacrifice. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's program. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. Talk about Jew and Gentile and that tension. And talking about the Jews now seem to be the enemies of gospel proclaimers. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. That is, the Gentiles came under the sphere of God's saving grace in the Jews' disbelief in Christ. So too they have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. The Jew, though he's now in disobedience, God now has an opportunity to show fresh mercy to them. As he found the Gentiles in disobedience, he got to show his mercy. For God has bound all men over to disobedience. Why? He's concluded all under sin so that he may have mercy on them all. Then he goes into the doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How searchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, Our subject is mercy deserves a sacrifice. And Paul has been describing the mercy of God in salvation. And let me give you a handle of what mercy means biblically. Uh, Benjamin Warfield, the great Princetonian uh, theologian, said, It is that perfection in God whereby he pities, 
and relieves the miseries of his creatures. He pities and he brings relief to creatures that are suffering. This was the number one emotion used to describe the life of Christ. He saw the multitude. He had compassion. Now, the word compassion when used of Christ was twofold. Interior feelings. He felt pity. Used the word splotnoi. Right in the gut of his emotions. He could see a leper. He could see a widow uh, taking her son to be buried. And he would be moved internally. That's one aspect. But in Christ's case, it always moved him to an action that relieved the suffering. He'd heal the sick, heal the leper, raise the dead, feed the multitude. So mercy in God is he feels our predicament as sinners. He feels our predicament and the misery that sins brought on us. And he moves to do something about it. And for 11 chapters, he said, God found us in our sin, in our rebellion, in our uh, moral decadence in Romans 1 through 3. He found us all guilty, 14 counts of guilt. And so if he left us there, we're before the bar of God's justice, found guilty, all sin, all fall short of the glory of God. The race is concluded to be rebels in God's sight. They've broken his commandments. They've ignored him. And so if God would just walk out of the court there, all will perish. All will get what they deserve. All will get justice. But the remarkable teaching of this epistle is in chapter 3. What the law could not do and what man's condemned state could not do, God in mercy sent his son to intervene to pay for the outraged sins we committed, to bear the wrath of God against us, and he brought mercy to our misery. He brought salvation, deliverance, and he says it so much there in Romans 9, he begins to tell them, God displays mercy on whom he will. He's selective in mercy. Justice is universal. Everybody gets justice. But God said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have mercy on Israel. I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. And we've been scratching our heads ever since. We don't like it. We don't, we think, who does God think he is? And he simply says, I'm God. And J. Vernon McGee used to always say, if you don't like God's universe, make one of your own. He runs this one. He's in charge of this one. He makes the rules. He's the sovereign despot in charge of all that moves, lives, or has its being. So he goes on through chapter 9 saying, mercy is God's intervention to rescue us from our predicament. Some reject that. Some are hardened. Some are redeemed. He finally says in chapter 9, God has vessels of wrath. He has vessels of mercy. And in this whole narrative, he's talking about the people of God, the people who come to know Jesus Christ, have experienced the overwhelming mercy of God. He entered into our plight, entered into our sinful state, and bore God's wrath to rescue us. This is mercy. Mercy spares you from what you deserve. If you have mercy on somebody... You can forgive the debt, as we're trying to get mechanics to do, on the first. That's if they had mercy. Now, they may have to file bankruptcy, but that would be mercy. 
Uh, if we pay it off the way we did this other, that is a legal just term. But who knows? I did this sermon just for them. No. Uh, mercy spares you from what you owe. Spares you from what you do. Grace gives you what you could never earn. Grace gives you something. Mercy spares you something. So he comes to chapter 12. And he said, I've been talking for 11 chapters of the great mercies of God. And because this epistle was read in one reading in a morning service at Rome, it wasn't preached in parts. It was read 16 chapters in a morning reading. And some of you, you don't know how to read it in a month. They read it in a morning service. He said, because I've been telling you of his mercies, I like to tell you what God wants you to do in response. By the way, don't treat mercy like some floating virtue that's out in the air like a virus. Mercy is synonymous for Jesus Christ. Mercy is synonymous for what Christ did for you in salvation. That's what the mercy is. It's not some of virtue that's floating around. It is what was manifested in Jesus Christ. And God says, I just want three things from you. For 11 chapters, I've told you what I did for you. Now let me tell you what you can do for me. 11 chapters. Uh, it's the chapters of indicatives. It's been done. Now he moves to start telling us what to do. Three things he wants. Number one, I want you to give me your body. Number two, I want you to stop being conformed to evil influences. Three, I want you to start being transformed into something I've designed for you. And I've renewed your mind to pull off the transformation. Number one. I want your body. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, the word for offer your bodies, it was used of priestly sacrifice in the Old Testament, but it came to have a meaning in the uh, uh, New Testament of to put at your disposal. This was the word used when Christ on the cross said, the Father will furnish me with 12 legions of angels if I want them. He'll put them at my disposal if I need them. And it had the sense of a slave that waited. We think of a waiter. You go to a restaurant to be waited upon. What that waitress is really doing is this word. She's alongside of to help you. And he's saying, God wants the child of God to simply make their body available to God. Just put your body, which represents your life, your whole person, put it at God's disposal. And when you do that, God says, you will have done something that's holy. And holy is idea. You will have consecrated it to God. And he says, it will be... Uh, acceptable to God and it will be a living sacrifice see the Old Testament sacrifices all turned into ashes you offered the lamb you offered the bullock you burn it up on the offering you had nothing to show after it 
but the smell to God and ashes. God says, I'm asking for your body and I'm not going to turn you to ashes. You'll live forever. This will be a perpetual sacrifice. It will be set apart to God and it will be acceptable to me. And that is an astounding thing to me. Some of you couldn't make any team, even lawn croquet. Your body may be in all kinds of conditions. God saves people at all ages, all conditions. He saves some people that uh, may have Down syndrome. He may save people uh, with low, low IQ. He may save some people that you would say are homely or nothing physically attractive. And you know what God said? If you will give your body to me, it will be acceptable. I just want you. And I, I looked up that hymn, one of my favorites. Uh, I will arise and go to Jesus. I love the four stanza. I had one edition that only had three, three lines. Throw out that edition. You want the four-line hymn. The last stanza of that hymn goes, Let not conscience make you linger nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. Have you ever said, I don't have anything to give God. God's already told you what he wants. He wants you. And he uses it in a tense that means do do it as a complete act. But he said this in Romans 6. You're under grace that you might offer your body continually to God. You're at his disposal continually. I was so convicted by this Friday as I was going over it that I got on my knees again. I first uh, gave my life to Christ when I was 15. South no, I was in 11th and John in San Pablo. I remember I did it for six months every day. I got on my knees and said, here am I, Lord, and read Isaiah 6. But you know what? The way it's really meant to happen is you ought to do it every day of your life. Uh, George Rudenbar, who used to preach here for us, he's now nearly 90, and uh, a great brother, uh, he used to uh, tell me he would get up every morning. And what he would do, he was a big guy. And he said, I'd get up every morning. And he said, as soon as I get out of bed, he, I said, I'd stretch out. And I'd say, God, here's George Rutenbar. I'm at your disposal. Do with me whatever you want to promote yourself. Do you start your day that way? Or is everything for you? Are you not at God's disposal? Uh, you know, it takes bodies to do ministry. It takes, we don't want any ghosts on the staff. We don't want any capes. We don't want Casper as a Sunday school teacher. We want a real body, a real person. And uh, I remember we were having a discussion one time about a ministry going on in the church. And, and someone got to saying, well, we can't keep that up. That requires a lot of work. And I live with a theologian called Carolyn. <laughs> and, and she said, well... Let's stop everything then. We don't get anything done around there that doesn't involve work. Enlistment this morning. Nursery help. Somebody's got to be available. We want a hand to change a diaper. We're not putting in robots yet. 
We're still using women that are available. Sunday schools aren't taught by video. They're taught by bodies that have become available. And one of the great tragedies of many a local church is it's a bunch of spectators watching a few people exhaust themselves. And they, they've turned church into a spectator sport. We watch superstars preach, sing, do this and that. And we just come in and critique music, temperature, nursery. And it was not quite up to what I need today. Where's your body? If you left this church, what would we miss? Criticism or ministry? Could we miss your contribution? Are you valuable? Are you valuable? God says, I want your body. Right from the get-go. You know the first thing I did in the church? I learned to hand out song books and stand with my brother Paul on 15th and Cutting and shake hands. He taught me how to shake hands. Because some people, I was just like pumping for water. I, just, I didn't know when to let go. Some I would crush. And I, no, son, you do it this way. You do it this way. You know, poor people never did shake my hands again. As a 15-year-old, he said, you do it this way. Isn't that ridiculous? Then I close up the windows after the service. Isn't that a big ministry at 15? Then I was teaching a third grade boys class at 15. Then I was over junior church at 16. And then my brother and I would canvas in South Richmond every Saturday. Just did anything. We didn't even know about what gift we had. We just knew we were available. And some of you want to know what your gift is. Your problem isn't your gift. Your problem is availability. You're not available. And until that happens, you've never done the first thing God wants you to do in thanks for Calvary. Here's my body. You got me, Lord. You got my mouth. You're either going to gossip, you're either going to waste it, or you can use it for God. Here's my eyes. You can either watch 20 hours a week TV, or you might read his word and do something to change your life. You, you do, you, your ears listen to what you want to hear. You can hear bad music. You can hear good music. You make the choice. God says, I want your body. And this is very interesting. Uh, the New Testament had a false cult that was in the background. They were the Gnostics. And the Gnostics uh, were a group. Gnostic means superior knowledge. And they had a view that creation was never made directly by God. But he had these intermediaries, angels, eons, they were called them. So the true gods here, and he had all these lesser gods. Finally, he got to such a lower rank God that he allowed this God to make the world. Because matter is evil in Gnosticism. Whatever's physical, if you can touch it, it's evil. It's, it's uh, spirit. It's uh, uh, thought. It's what behind matter that is really important. This is all contaminated. Somebody said this of the body. The body is evil. Let me ask you, is the body evil? What do you steal with? You're going to steal something. Do you steal it in your mind or with your body? If you're immoral, it's your body. But here's the thing. Romans 6 begins to say, your body becomes the instrument of whoever is your master. And if sin is your master, your body is used for a sinful agenda. 
If Jesus Christ is your master, your body is available for him. But the body is not evil. Matter of fact, that's why sex was so forbidden in the early church. It's part of the monastic order. It's part of Catholicism saying that priests should marry because sex is not smiled upon. Why? Sex involves the body. And anything to do with the body is tainted with evil. God says, no, no. Your body, and when I save you, I'm going to turn your body into the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you said temple, that meant a place where God hangs out, a place where God is worshipped, which means God says, every place I've got a Christian on the globe, I should have a worship center. You don't need to go up to Mount Gerizim in Samaria, John 4. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. You don't need to go. When I show up, when I show up in any audience, any crowd, I become God's worship center because I'm indwelt by the Spirit for the purpose of glorifying God. Are you a worship center where you work? Are you a worship center in your house? Are you a worship center in this community? What is God getting out of your body? Paul said this, I'm in a strait. I don't know whether to die or to stay here. He said, it'd be a lot better for me if I could die, for I'd be with the Lord. But if I stay, it would be better for you, because I could still minister to you. Then he says these great lines. For me to live is football. Oh, wait, wait. For me to live is money. For me to live is sex. For me to live is pleasure. For me to live is me. For me to live is Christ. For I've determined Christ will be exalted. And the word is magnified, which means this. I am determined that as long as I live, Christ will be seen to be magnificent in my body. I'm going to magnify God with everything I've got in this body. God wants your body. I ask you this. Is yours available? What's it employed doing? Listening to sermons only? But you're not in, in the yoke? You're missing out. You're not giving mercy what it deserves. It deserves your body. He'll talk about spiritual gifts down in verse 3 or verse 4. But first of all, he's got to have you. Does he have you? Does he have you? We used to sing, you know, I think we need to sing that pop song, uh, Why Not Take All of Me? Well, that's what God's telling you. Why not give me all of you? Or Audrey Meyer would say, all he wants is all of you, and that's not getting a lot. But he wants all of you. That's all. Is that fair? For God to pay such a price, and to say, by the way, would you give me yourself back? But I can't trust you, God. You can't trust a God that would die for you. You can't trust a God that would give you the gift of righteousness. You can't trust a God that put the Holy Spirit in you. You can't trust a God who's had mercy on you. Come on. If you can't trust God, you can't trust anyone. Pastor Phil Howard here on Truth For Today, taking a look at Romans chapter 12, this amazing transition from theology to practice that the Apostle Paul lays out for us here in the book of Romans. As we close out our time together today, we would like to remind you that we're always available should you have questions or prayer requests. 
If you have an issue regarding the broadcast that you would like addressed, feel free to get a hold of us. You can write to us, drop us an email, or give us a phone call. If you would like to order the entire set today's message was taken from, again, simply mention it by name when you contact us, Living Sacrifice, Serving One Another. Eight CDs in all, we ask for a gift of $15 or more. Please bear in mind, this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to come to you daily and Sundays as well here on KFAX as you link arms with us financially. Please remember that as you contact us. We'd love to partner with you. And by the way, our partners, our TFT sustainers, they receive quarterly newsletters, once a year special gift, and also access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil. It's our weekly video devotional with Pastor Phil Howard. Again, that's all part of our TFT Sustainers Club. Ask about it when you get a hold of us. Here's our phone number. It's 855 833 9864. That's 855-833-9864. Stop by our website, valleybible.org. Drop us an email while you're there. Or write to us, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And as you either stop by our website, please remember you can take advantage of the resource materials there, securely give online, and find out more about us. Or, if you wish, give us a call again at 855-833-9864. And that web address, once again, is valleybible.org. If you'd like to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church, you're more than welcome. Consider this an official invite. And make sure you let one of the ushers know that it was the radio station that invited you. That would mean a great deal to us. Directions and information, again, can be found at valleybible.org or by calling 855-833-9864. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, may God richly bless you. 